Timorsa. Timorsa. Amen. Wasn't that a great word that David shared? I think that was a word from God, and I'll tell you why, because he, he preached my message. Uh, I, I like it when God confirms that. Uh, in fact, uh, I want to go ahead and uh, just open up something with you, too, that really goes along with what he said, and I had no conversation with David about this, but uh, I want to... I uh, before I get into that, I want to let everybody know for sure about this vision uh, class next Saturday. If you're new in the church, you'd like to kind of know what we believe, where we're going, what we're doing, I really encourage you to come to that next Saturday morning. Amen? It's going to be a great summer, great spring. Looking forward to the rest of the year. Amen? How many of you are having a good week so far? Amen. You know God wants you to live an abundant life. Amen? And uh, abundant life means that we're living above the norm. We're thinking higher thoughts, amen? Our thoughts, our minds are being renewed, and you cannot renew your mind without renewing your mouth. And you can't renew your mouth or your mind without renewing your walk or your lifestyle. So God's interested in bringing a complete metamorphosing of your entire life, amen? We're not waiting to get to heaven. God is waiting for you to bring heaven on earth. He wants to bring heaven down, and He wants you to be a conduit and and a channel for heaven to flow through your life. In fact, God is revealing to us right now that element of greatness, the element of His goodness, the element of His supreme power, and He's using you to be the channel that He brings that power through. Amen? Now, I I want to just uh, share with you, and I'm not going to take a long time because I know the Lord's already been speaking to us a lot. I don't want to wear us out. But I want to talk to you about becoming a Daniel generation. Becoming a Daniel generation. Um, And along the line with what David was sharing this morning about the pursuit of excellence, uh, one of the reasons I'm sharing this is probably in response to some things that has been happening in the news and around the nation. Anybody, if you've watched the news, how many of you know it can be very depressing when you turn on the news today? Uh, We are a more divided nation than ever. We have become more divisive, uh, more racist, more sexist. There's uh, there's a lot of things that uh, just by watching it, and we we understand that the problem, we all know, and I, I pray you'll hear me, We know that the problem is not political, and it's not social. The Bible tells us very clearly that the rise and the fall of any nation comes from the spiritual condition or life of that nation. The Bible very clearly states that wherever a nation is spiritually, so goes the nation. Because the social environment, the education, the political environment should be and and will be influenced by the spiritual connections and the environment and the influence that it has. When when we choose to divorce God out of the nation, what's going to happen, and man has left his own devices, uh, then we try to solve problems in our own strength, don't we? And we don't do a very good job on that. Man in his best in his, in, in, with all of his intellect, his technology, and his education, and all that he thinks that he knows, 
The Bible says very clearly, Paul's letter to the church at Colossia was said that, that we were to bear, or we were to beware of vain philosophy and deceit and uh, of men that destroys faith. And uh, when we get back to the very basics on really what begins to bring man into a place of real health, real, real well-being, uh, then we can begin to see the fruit of excellence in our life. How many of you believe God wants us to be healthy? You, you see, you can't do excellent things until you're first healthy. And if, there is, if you're not, in fact, what David was sharing earlier this morning about going in, I thought it was really interesting, his story about going in and hearing a woman who was tearing down the the little club there, the music's not right, the, the lady's not right, this is not right. What, what the Bible refers to that is a spirit of defilement. When you are defiled through slander or through gossip or someone's complaining, it begins to change the lens on how you begin to see that. Uh, I remember this is a true story. I had a guy come up to me one day. This was after a service. We had communion one time. And he looked at me and he said, Pastor, I I need to ask your forgiveness. And he was a gentleman. He was in our church. He was a great friend of mine. He says, I need need to ask your forgiveness. And I said, well, absolutely. I'm willing to forgive you. He says, I I need you to hear me out. I said, okay. He said, over a year ago, there was a brother who left our church and said some things about you, and I believed it. And ever since he said what he said, when I would come to church, I would turn you off. I wouldn't hear your messages. Finally, the Lord began to deal with me that I was contaminated by someone else's complaining. And then he said, when I finally heard the rest of the story, I realized that I had been defiled by someone who had an offense. And he said, for an entire year, I came to church, but I couldn't listen to anything you were saying because of a friend who slandered you a year ago. Isn't that sad in the church? It doesn't have to be against the pastor. It can be against you. Now, how many of you know the way we deal with slander or contamination? The Bible says, Matthew 18, if somebody comes to you with junk, you go to them. You know what I hear a lot of people say when they've been contaminated? I'll pray about it. Do you know the Bible there, The Bible doesn't tell you to ever pray about an offense? It never says, well, I'll, I'll just go to God in prayer. No, it says you'd go to that brother that you have an offense with. That's what the Bible teaches. Well, pastor, I'm just not into making waves. Make waves. Everyone say make waves. Because here's the problem. The way you hear and how you hear and how you remain healthy determines by how you sort information out that comes to you. How many of you believe it's important for us to sort stuff out? And we, we, when someone says something, we need to make sure, by the way, and I'm not just referring to gossip or slander here, but I'm, I'm referring to any situation. For instance, in the political arena today, you know, what is so sad in the news, is all these politicians running for office, is, and we see the news media 
that tries to question candidates for the sake of, the, I, I call it the gotcha syndrome. If we can somehow catch them off guard. And that's sad. Where, where we're just out to get people off guard, to get them in their most vulnerable position so we can point a finger and say, aha, I gotcha. Well, that, that spirit is divisive and it's destructive. Good men and good women, it's sad to say in our nation, people that have had awesome character, great integrity, have been slandered and, and put down. And, and now in our nation, what we have is we have uh, even Christians, Christians that are taking sides and are beginning to uh, uh, get into the fray, into the battle And what I'm going to share with you this morning on the Daniel generation is that God does not want us to take sides like this. He does not want us to get into a battle where we are warring against flesh and blood. God is is wanting us to get the broader, bigger picture. Amen? But I believe God wants us to see things from His point of view rather than from a Republican, a Democrat, an Independent. I, I don't really care what side you're on this morning. Uh, I've, I've had personal... I've had... I, I, I will be honest with you, actually up until recently, I got into the, 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 the problem of allowing the news and allowing the media to affect my spirit because I am concerned maybe like many of you are, about the direction of our nation. I'm concerned about it. And, and we do see a, a decline in the morals and the character and the issues of our nation. We see that. But what is the position? What, should, what is the position of a Christian? What is, what is the place that we should be at? Should we be getting into arguments? Should we be getting into uh, battles on our job or in home. I, I've even heard of even husbands and wives getting uh, upset over political things like this. Is that, is that the place that we should be at? Should we be contending and should we be putting people down and raising our candidates and our particular positions up other, higher than others? And, and I want to take you into some scripture and just by virtue of introduction on this this morning to uh, help us to see what the Bible actually teaches when believers are in a oppressive situation. How many of you know that your light shines the brightest when it's the darkest? See, God never intended for your light to go out when it's dark. God never intended for you <clears throat> to be angry and upset because you see a shift in the environment. God never intended for you to start saying, well, let's go and pick it, let's go and pray, let's let's speak against the leaders of our land. I I I was I've noticed some things on Facebook. By the way, sometimes I think it's good to take a vacation from Facebook. But I've seen opinions come across Facebook from the Christians saying things about leaders that they it, it, it definitely opens uh, my eyes to see there are many believers, they don't know their Bible. God never intended for you 
Uh, God wants us to be a light and salt in the earth, but He never intended for you to slander and rail leaders that you don't agree with. God never intended for you. In fact, I'm going to show you something that might surprise some of you. Uh, And you may say, well, Pastor, it sounds like you're going to be soft on sin. No, not at all. In fact, when we begin to really look at the... How many of you believe that transformation comes much better when the love of God and the grace of God is applied rather than through force or fear. Let me give you an example. This, this actually happened. About in the late 1990s, I had just finished a Sunday morning message in this church. We had just finished. I uh, closed the service, getting ready to leave. People were mingling after service as they do. And I had one of our ushers come and tell me, Pastor, there's, there's about five or six gentlemen and a couple ladies outside the church, and they want to talk to you. And I said, okay. Uh, I said, usher them in. They said, they, they'd rather just talk to you outside. And so I begin to proceed to make my way out into the parking lot over here, and I notice that the gentleman, one of the men, uh, was a leading radio Christian celebrity. He was on the radio and well-known, very well-known throughout Texas and actually the South, a very well-known man. I, I was surprised that he showed up at our church with five or six young people. And uh, he came in and he says, Pastor, uh, I know you, uh, you may not know me, but I am such and such of an individual. And I was wondering if you could go back and make a quick announcement. I said, well, we just dismissed our service. And I said, what do you, what do you want me to announce? He says, well, down the road here, we just been notified that an abortion clinic has just opened up about four or five blocks down the road here on Beltline. And we need to go down and we need to picket this abortion clinic and we need to wave the the pictures and show the dead fetus and we need to let everyone know that we are going to shut this thing down and let righteousness reign in America. And I, I looked at the brother... And I said, well, I'm all for righteousness, and I'm, I, I am definitely not for abortion, but I am not going to use that approach. He says, why not? Don't, don't you think, aren't you against babies being murdered? I said, absolutely. But he said, I would rather win the doctor through love than picket the clinic only to have the clinic open five other places down the road. You can, you can shut the clinic down. The guy completely disagreed with me. Now, he was a Christian man, a, radio, a Christian radio celebrity. And his approach was to picket and to shame people to shutting down. How many of you know shame does not bring change to a nation? And you can... You can now, I know the Bible says that righteousness exalts the nation. Sin is a reproach. But let me tell you what righteousness does not do. Righteousness does a lot. Righteousness preserves a nation. Righteousness exalts a nation. But the concept of righteousness to a sinner does not change their heart. It doesn't change them because it's a standard. And when you begin to bring standards to the ungodly, you know what they do? They reject it. What brings change is the message of grace. 
It's the message of life. It's the message of God's love. Because when you change their heart through grace, they then embrace the righteousness. They embrace the transfer. You cannot make people righteous through fear and through beating them over the head with the Bible. You know how many, now, some of you may not agree with me on this, but it's, it's love that changes lives. It's not righteousness. Righteousness has to do with my position before the Lord and my right standing. And absolutely, there's that holiness and there's that right standing. But righteousness in and of itself without grace will produce legalism, and it will produce shame and fear and ultimately rejection. You can't change people by bringing the standard of righteousness. You bring the message of grace that produces righteousness. How many of you know that righteousness comes through transformation? It does not come through threats. It does not come by taking the Bible. Well, let's, let's look at some scriptures here just for the sake of a few Matthew chapter 5, Jesus in his message on the Sermon on the Mount, notice what he says here, verse 14. Matthew 5, 14. Then we're going to go back to 1 Peter. Notice what he says. You are the light of the world. That's a power-packed statement. You. Everyone say you. You are the light. In other words, there's something that is so attractive you light, there is an influence, there is a glory that rests upon you. The Bible, when it refers to the light, it's referring to the glory of God. It's referring to something that is so beautiful, so powerful, that you actually give people guidance, direction, instruction. Your life, when you're really shining... A city set on a hill that cannot be hid. You know, right now the church is so full of people with baskets on their head. They're not letting their light shine. But he says, nor do you light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, that it might give light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may what? Everyone say see. Notice it didn't say that they may hear. It's not your preaching that's going to change them. They need to see it. Not, they, they don't want to hear you just preaching it. They need to see what? Your good works and glorify. Now that word glorify is a powerful word. Because it's a word that denotes attraction. It denotes the fact that when people see your life working, that sinners are going to actually say, man, there's something about your God that is so awesome. Wow, I I tell you, the the ways and the, the laws and the convictions and the values that I've had are so wrong compared to the God that you serve. Wow, I want to glorify your God. See, that's the kind of light... That's the excellence that David is talking about this morning. That's the kind of light that when people see, they actually say, Wow, Mike Riga, I want your God. Wow, uh, Megan, I, I want your God. And John Stanson, I, I, 
I want to worship the God you, you serve. I, I want to know more about what, what you're talking about and the way you're living and how, how come it, 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 it changes. It, there's such freedom. There's such liberty. It produces such joy. It produces such honor. See, my light should bring people to a place where they're saying and they're asking questions about, you know what, I, I, I want to know about the God or the religion or the, the connection that you have. That's what Jesus is saying here, that when we're sh- truly shining our light. Now, let me, let me tell you what that means. That means that we're going to have to have a complete renovation of the way we see things and the way we see the world. How many of you know we need to kind of have a renewing of the mind and the way we see the world? First of all, it says, for God so what? loved the world. Now, he didn't love the sin. He doesn't love the devil in the world. This is not a universal uh, salvation here. But it says, for God so loved the world. He, he saw the value in sinners enough to die for them and to pay a price by the sending of his own son to die on the cross. He saw the value in them in such a way that he comes down takes upon himself the form uh, of the seed of Abraham through flesh, and he becomes one of us, and then he begins to demonstrate honor. He demonstrates value to sinners. He takes the time and he shows patience with unbelievers and perverts and people that we might write off. This is, this is the gospel, folks. This is the gospel. Jesus was, was at, so at home with sinners that the Bible says in Luke 15 that sinners would come and eat with Jesus and they found his company to be so accepting and so valued that they, they just loved being around him. Let me ask you a question. Do sinners like being around you? Would they be comfortable? Well, no, they may not be comfortable because I stand for holiness and righteousness and I will not tolerate the filth of the muck of the mire of this world. Oh, I pray you get saved. Because you are on your own religious head trip and unless sinners can experience the love of God around you. Well, pastor, I can't lower my standards. I will not. God's not asking you to lower your standards. He's not even asking you to open your heart. You know, the Bible says that Jesus was a friend. But Jesus did not fellowship with sinners. There's a difference. When you fellowship with someone, what you're doing is you're opening your heart to the way they think and the way they live, and you are embracing it. For instance, I used to, when I was more or less in the working world, in the sense as a builder, I had a lot, I had a few sinner friends. They were friends of mine. But you know what? I made sure that in the relationship, I honored them, and I invited them over, and we participated in uh, some activities, but I never allowed their conversation to take the lead in the relationship. I don't let them tell their dirty jokes. I just kind of interrupt and said, let's talk about something else. 
Let's go down this other path. But I, I always wanted to get into their boat, into their life, and we want to uh, let them know that we're interested in their needs. That's what Jesus did. Jesus never allowed sinners to take the lead in certain relationships because he knew that he was to be the light of the world. What that means, you being the light, it also means that you are taking the role of a leader. You're leading. Everyone say lead. lead. Now, some of us have a problem with leadership. Leading doesn't mean you dominate and dictate. But leadership means that you, through, through the grace of God and through the mind of the Holy Spirit, you begin to steer. You can steer a conversation. You can steer a relationship in such a way that it has a positive outcome. One of the ways we do that is we focus on the needs of people. By the way, do you know that people love to talk about themselves? One of the best ways to get into the life of a person is just say, I want to sit down and just hear you talk about you. You do? Yeah, I want to hear you talk all about you. Do you know what? You will gather a crowd for that. People love to talk about themselves. And when they find someone that wants to hear about their story, you're going to get an audience. That's what Jesus did. Jesus just didn't come and preach his gospel to the sinners. He said, he said this, Nathan, Let's get together for coffee. Now, he's not a sinner, but uh, he's an awesome young man of God. But he said, hey, can I come down where your fishing boats are? I'd like to get into your boat today. I want to just see how you're fishing. See, Jesus got into their boat. He got into their life, and he just let them talk. And, he, 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 yeah, and finally, he saw needs, and he said, hey, Peter, let's go out again. Let's launch out again into the deep. And Peter said, well, Lord, I've, done, I've been fishing all night and I've caught nothing. He said, well, I'm in the boat. Now I'm in the boat. Let, let's do it again. See, Jesus, the way he won people is he honored them by focusing on a need in their life. You know, a lot of Christians today, you know what we do? This is what we do. This is what we've done. I'm not saying any of you have done this, but I remember in the past we used to do this. Hey, you want to come to our church? I don't care about what you do, what you do. I don't care about your needs. I just want you to come to our church and hear our preacher. By the way, folks, they don't care about your church and they don't care about your preacher. What they want to know is, do you care about them? Are you interested in, hey, can I come over and help paint your fence today? Why do you want to paint my fence? I'm not going to pay, you know. I'm not here for pay. I just want to help paint your fence. Why? What's in? What's it? What? What's all this? Stuff? How many of you know people actually wonder what you're after when you want to do something for free? But when you say, you know, I just, I just want to be a, just want to be a friend to you. Why? Why do you want to be my friend? Because I think you're pretty special. Now you're going to get some people. Ears are going to go up. Radar is going to start flying. Things are going to be weird. But see, folks. This is part of the Daniel generation. Now, notice, notice what Peter says. Jump over with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. <clears throat> and with this, because of time, I am going to end this, and we will continue this exciting episode next Sunday. 1 Peter chapter 2. Listen to this. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims that you abstain from fleshly lusts, desires which war against the soul. Having your conduct 
honorable among the Gentiles. Everyone say honorable. Now, you know, I used to read this passage in verse 11 there, 1 Peter 2.11. I always thought that had to do with just lust of the flesh. No, he's talking about your personal insecurities. He's talking about your problems that you're having with just living in this present, what Paul refers to as this present evil age. And he's saying, you need to get a handle on the lust of your flesh. And Peter here, I'm, saying, I'm not saying Paul, but Peter said that we abstain from the desires. There are desires. There are desires in a believer. By the way, they could be righteous desires. There could be desires. I, I want righteousness in America. I want our schools to be filled with God. Those are righteous desires. But what happens when our schools begin to go downhill? What happens when we begin to see some things and values begin to take place in our school? For instance, I know many of you probably heard about the transgender issue and the restroom issues and what's going on right now. And I, you don't have to, you know, even non-Christians don't necessarily agree with all these kind of things. But, but how should a Christian react to these things? What is our response that is going to generate the kind of response from believers that will attract them to the Lord? Is it going to be waving the, 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 the standard of righteousness? God's Word said that this is sin. Yes, it is sin. But that's not going to win them. Righteousness does not attract unbelievers. What attracts them is when we, the Bible says it right here, that our conduct is honorable. Everyone say honorable. Very important. We need to know what he's actually telling us. He's, he's telling us that we're to honor unbelievers. Now, that doesn't mean I honor their conduct and I don't honor their values. But I can honor them as a person. Because the goal is to change them. The goal is to try. But you know what? For a long time, we've stood on the street corners with our big uh, cardboard signs, repent or go to hell. How many of you walked, seen some people on the street corner? Good meaning believers. Stand, repent. Hell is hot. Hell is big. And you're going to burn if you don't repent. People don't respond to that. I know there are believers in their churches and their groups that really believe that that's the method. We need to tell them or they'll burn. It's not going to bring any kind of transformation. Actually, let me tell you, those kind of believers are doing it for themselves. It's all about a persecution complex. So they can go, out, well, I, I went out and I warned the wicked. Thank God I warned them. Didn't get anybody saved, but I warned them. I'll let them all know they're going to hell. Thank you, Lord. I hope that counts for something when I get up to heaven. I warned the wicked. Lord's going to say, well, did you ever befriend any? Did you ever love it? Did you bring them over to your house? Give them a sandwich? Did you, did you take them into your arms? Were you there to help them, bless them, pray for their sick? Did you reach out and, and let them know how special and valuable they are because I see value in them? Did you do that? Well, no, Lord, they're, they're filthy and they're perverted. And I don't want to be around perverts because I'm holy. 
And I'm holy with you, God. I'm, I'm all the way with you, God, so I don't want to be around those imperfect, perverted sinners. God, help us. Now, I know somebody can leave today and say, Oh, Pastor Ray, wow, it sounds like you're kind of going soft on sin here. You're just kind of low, kind of low on the standards, aren't you? No, not at all. In fact, I, we know that sin destroys. We know that. We know sin destroys. We know that sin is a reproach. But what we're talking about is it's going to require believers to have a revelation, the revelation of the Father's heart. I'm going to need to know that when the Father sent His only begotten Son, He knew that He was sending His Son to die for the entire world. The Father knew that He was sending His Son into a situation where His only Son, His only begotten Son, would be taken in the hands of sinners, stripped, beard plucked out, stripes laid on His back, and be unjustly judged and take your place, my place, on the cross. Jesus is referred to in Romans 8 as the firstborn among many. Jesus is calling us to follow him. Peter here says this, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, by the way, folks, that's happening right now in our nation. That they may by your good works, which they observe. Everyone say observe. I want you to get this because Jesus is saying they need to observe and see something about us. And there is a te- there's a testimony that we are leaving behind. And Peter here goes on to say that they may observe and glorify God in the day of visitation. Do you know what the day of visitation is? The day of visitation is when God shows up on the scene when you, as a believer, are having your rights violated. When things are not fair for you as a believer, but you still show the love of God. That's God visiting them. Let me say that again. The day of visitation is when a believer under persecution or under oppression. Let me tell you something. Nobody is transformed. No one stands back and says, oh, wow, that was God. Nobody does that when you're doing well. When you're on top, you may say, well, praise God, I hope all these sinners out here realize that I'm promoted, I'm doing well, look how awesome I am. No, that that doesn't impress them. But when things are going against you, when you've lost your job because of your position in Christ, when, when, when someone slanders you behind your back and you still pray for your enemy, you don't return and rail and you don't return and fight back but you maintain a spirit of humility and honor even towards your enemies people say wow that that guy's different there's something different about that person i mean i would have cussed him out i would have quit my job i would have gone down and i would have filed a lawsuit against the state oh that that they they stepped on my toes See, the day of visitation 
for a Gentile is when you have been put into a position where you become the sacrifice lamb. Amen. I, I remember asking the Lord one time, and this, this was several years ago, I said, Lord, why are you allowing me to walk through some things that are unfair? I remember asking the Lord, he says, right, it's not about you. And I said, but why am I going through this? And people are watching. He says, that's right. I want them to see what it's like for a true champion who overcomes. I didn't know that. See, I didn't realize that part of the problems that were coming towards me wasn't because God was trying to teach me character. He was using, he, he felt, this is what the Lord said, right? I can trust, I can trust I can trust suffering in you so that others may come to know the Lord. Remember the Apostle Paul when Ananias in the book of Acts chapter 9, Ananias gives Paul a prophetic word. He says, tell Saul of Tarsus that he's a chosen vessel and let him know how many things he must suffer for my sake. Do you know that sometimes we need to start looking at problems as David said today, problems as opportunities for God's glory to be manifest through us to reach the world around us. Because when people see you shine, like I said, the, best, the, the only time that you really shine the brightest is when it's the darkest. Now, I know for me to stand up here and to preach this is one thing. Because I know what it's like to preach it, and then I have to go, go through it. Get, let me tell you something. Every time I preach something, God lets me go through it. And, but that, that's, that's part of the, the price. There's a price to pay. But I, I, I want to tell you something, New Life. I believe no matter what's going on in the political system in our nation right now, no matter what the direction may be, I actually believe the Lord is setting things up for a revival. I believe the lost are going to see. I believe the church is, like David was saying, like the Scripture is saying, God's raising up Daniels. He's raising up Esthers. He's raising up Davids and Ezekiels and Jeremiahs. He's raising up ministry. that is. They're not going to just be church sitters. We're not just inviting people to church and have great worship services and times. But I believe we're going to see the manifestation of God's glory in the workplace in the marketplace, in our schools. Let me close with this true story. Years ago, when I was in 12th grade, I was my 12th year of high school, I had a little Bible study group. There was a woman who taught, quote, modern problems. She was a socialist, a teacher teaching sociology, and I, and I remember I had some discussion with her. And she was not a believer. She was a, a, a confessing agnostic. One day, she actually asked me, and she did it in a way, mocking, mocking me. She said, well, why don't you get up uh, on a particular day, and for about 15 minutes, I just want you to share the, the class about Christianity. Because during her class in, in the 12th grade, this was a public school in Hood River when I went to school back in 1972 in that, those years. I know that really dates me bad. <laughs> it was back in 72. But, and that's when they had these open rebellions and sit-ins and classes. I don't know if any of you guys remember some of those years, but as Haight-Ashbury days and hippies were all over the 
planet walking and having lovings and sit-ins and everything else and that was going in and out and everything else. But she had me get up, and she says, well, go ahead, give it a shot, Ray. Talk, talk about Christianity, what it means to be a Christian. I mean, she, she was really mocking me. What she was expecting was that I was going to get up because this, this was her background. Her background of Christians was we're all hell-bent and letting everybody know that they're all going to hell, they're all perverts, and God's up there, he's, a, he's an angry God, he's a bad God, he's, he's out to get them, and they're all going to hell if you don't repent. That's what she thought I was going to say. I got up and I began to give the little bit of history about Jesus' birth, his life, and that Jesus came and he died and placed great value on sinners and loved them. And Jesus was a friend to sinners. That teacher sat in the back and she was crying as I was giving that class. At the end of the classroom, she straightened herself up. God, well, thank you, Ray. And she kind of moved me off and she went teaching the class. At the end of the class, she comes up to me and she says, you know, Ray, that was an interesting presentation. I've never heard it like that. Interesting. That's all she said. I wish I could tell you I led her to the Lord, but I didn't lead her to the Lord. But you know what? I believe that when we begin to present the gospel in a way that disarms people from a fight. You see, you know what You know what everybody's ready for today? Everybody's ready for a fight. Everybody's in thinking there's going to be a fight. And everybody's thinking this. Somebody's going to win and someone's going to lose and it's not going to be me. Whether it's your political party, whatever side you're... Everybody's ready for a fight. But you know, Christians, our best weapon is the love of God. Because love disarms people. It disarms them. And what it does, it creates an environment for people to ask questions. And do you know what you are? You are a solution to a problem. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, you are a solution. You're a solution. What, What does it mean to be the light of the world? Be the light of the world means you're a solution. You have a solution. You are the opportunity. You are what the world is looking for. But here's the thing. Three things a Christian has to do. Number one, we need to get the big picture and stop thinking small-minded. We need to get out. We need to get rid of this escapism mentality where God rapture me, quit getting me out of here because the devil's got the world by the tail. We've got to get rid of that kind of theology. Number two, we need to get a brand new attitude about what it means to love sinners. We need to change our attitude about being around sinners instead of looking at them as kind of below our level. They're not below our level. Jesus valued the worst of sinners. We need to value them. We need to build friendship. And number three, we need to cultivate a culture of honor where we learn to honor all men. Now, I don't have time to go into the Scriptures, but next week you come back for this exciting episode because we're going to get into some Scriptures because here's the thing, folks. When the church gets healthy and healed, guess what? The world's going to say, I want what you got. How many of you believe that's the best way to witness? I want 
what you got. And when they see something inside of you that's, that's, that's about grace and it's about respect and honor, that you honor them. Well, you, you know I'm gay, you know. And I'm a pretty hardcore gay guy. You still like me? Yeah, I do. In fact, I'll embrace you and give you a hug. Wow, wow, wow. That's strange. That's strange. You, you Christians don't hug gay people. Yeah, yeah, we do. You're in a very important, valuable person in the eyes of the Father. Why would he like me so much? I don't like him, I know, but we love you. Can you imagine what that will do to our world? It disarms it. See, right now, everyone's in a political posturing. All right, I'm ready for the fight. You come at me, I'll come back. It's kind of the old... Forgive me if there's any Donald Trump fans in here. If they fight me, I'll fight them back. Not a good plan in Christianity. You hit me, I'll hit you back. That's not the way a Christian lives. That's not the way a Christian is. Jesus said, you hit me, I'll turn the other cheek. Run the mile, I'll go the second mile. Take my coat, I'll give you my underwear. What it means. See, but, but Christians have been in this defense posture for so long. Oh, the devil's coming. The commies are getting us. We're under socialism. Oh, man, America's going down the tub. And I've seen this junk on television, and I'm thinking, God, this is not right. That's why, that's why we've been speaking on the renewing of our minds. When you renew your mind, guess what? You begin to renew your vision and your values. You begin to renew the way you see people. You're no longer afraid of your neighbors. You're no longer afraid of the people. And, you know, we're, and that's why the Holy Spirit is doing something amazing right now. Amen. Are you ready for this transformation? By the way, not everybody's going to buy into this theology. Not everybody's going to buy because you know what? When fear governs your life, you're always threatened and you always see people as a threat. But when, when the greatness of God's grace rules your heart, you no longer live under a spirit of fear. But the spirit of love, sound mind, and the grace of God begins to guide your life instead of fear. Amen? We have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. Let's bow our heads, shall we? In fact, let's stand to our feet as we we just close here this morning. In fact, let's take each other by the hand, shall we? Because we're a church family. Everyone, everyone is important. Everyone is valued. God loves his people. He loves loves the lost. He wants to show his mercy, his loving kindness to a world around us right now that is so divided, so divided. Father, we thank you this morning for your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you're opening our eyes to see the heart of the Father, the heart of the Father who desires that all men be saved, come to see the goodness of God. Lord, I just pray right now that as you're continuing to just transform our minds and our lives through the power of grace, Lord, we would come to recognize the opportunity to shine our lights in dark places. Lord, help us to realize, Lord, that you've never put us into a place, that you've never equipped us, that we would not see a positive outcome. You you never leave us alone. 
But Lord, you always even equip us, even when we're vulnerable, even when we might even appear weak. Lord, your grace is even made perfect in those seasons and times. Lord, I just pray that as you're healing us and restoring us, that we, Lord, would be championed and, 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 and trusted, Lord, with what you call us to, to be able to disciple and, and, and bring people and see people come into the kingdom. Father, we look to you. We thank you for, your, we thank you for all that you're doing today. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to someone, give them a hug. God bless.